Welcome to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur Podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about business strategies, thinking and habits that are essential to building a successful event planning business while enjoying a fulfilling lifestyle. I am your host, Mayo Silvers, an events veteran with over 20 years of experience and also an unstoppable eventrepreneur with two multiple six-figure events business. Come listen with an open heart and open mind. Be ready to reset, recharge, and rejuvenate your life and your business. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur Podcast. And today, we are going into part two of the three-part series of the things you need to consider when planning or hosting your ticketed in-person event. Last episode, we talked about the common mistakes made when planning a ticketed in-person event. And we also talk about the importance of defining the objective for your ticketed in-person event before you do anything. If you have missed that episode, I would strongly suggest that you listen to that episode. Okay. All right. So today we're going to focus on ticket pricing, ticket sales strategy, and sponsorship sales. Okay. On the previous episode, I talk about pricing your tickets, not based on gut feeling or the market price, but based on the actual cost or estimated cost of doing the in-person event and also the projected profit that you want. So one of the uh, common mistakes made, which I did not talk about in previous episode, is when you are pricing the ticket for your ticketed in-person event, there are two ways to do it. You price it based on the cost of doing the event divide by how many people or how many tickets you want to sell, and then you get a price. There's another way that you should consider, and I do that for all my events, is you take the cost of producing the event and you add on the potential profit that you want to make from the ticketed in-person event and you you divide that by the number of people you want to have in your event. Because my niche is in helping six to eight figure coaches to strategize, plan and execute their ticketed in-person event. My goal is to make sure that they make money up front not from the back end only. For coaches and consultants, I will dare to venture to say that you will write off the cost of doing the event as a marketing cost and then you hope to recoup the investment by enrolling people into your programs. Now, if you are event planner, if you are an event planner, it is essential, in fact, a must-do 
that you must make a profit at the front end and not depend on getting a potential client immediately after the event that you have hosted to hire you or buy your product or hire you to plan the events. So the probability for coaches and consultants to have back-end sales is very high if you have done a great job in doing in delivering the content and experience that you have crafted for your ticketed in-person events. But as event planners, if you are doing a ticketed event upfront and you have nothing to sell in the back end, okay, or whatever you're selling cannot, it's not a decision that, that can be made immediately at, at the event that your attendees are, are there for. Therefore, you need to include a potential profit that you want to make into the cost of producing the event and you get a final number and then you divide that by the number of people or tickets that you plan to sell. So for every single ticket that you sell, you're getting making a little bit of profit, hopefully, until you, know, until you get to the point that the number of tickets sold uh, is able to already cover the cost. And then from that point onwards, every ticket sold is profit. Very, very, very important point to consider. Okay. Now, when you are doing your event budget sheet for your ticketed in-person events, there are two cost components. Actually, there are three, but let's talk about these two cost components. The first cost component is what we call the fixed cost. And the second is the variable cost. What do I mean by that? The first, the first cost component known as fixed cost are costs that you are going to incur at when you host this event, regardless, okay? Regardless how many people show up. What is the example of such costs? Room rental, okay? The venue fee that the venue is imposing on you that you have to pay by renting the venue. So they don't care whether you have 500 people show up or one person show up. You have to pay that amount. So it doesn't fluctuate with the number of attendees. Okay? Audio-visual to a certain extent. So audio-visual, if you need to have a screen and a projector, you're going to need a screen and a projector to project your content on a TV or on a screen. So you're going to incur that cost. It doesn't matter whether you have 10 people in the room or you're going to have 50 people in the room. When I say that audiovisual is a gray area, it's because certain audiovisual will need to be upgraded to a different capacity when you have more people. One of the things include microphones, sound system, okay? Uh, you need not microphones, sound system. So you will probably need to have more speakers in the room if you have more people and then you may need to move to a bigger room. 
And also, um, another component would be if you have more people, that means you may need to have another screen and a projector. Okay? So these, these two are probably one of the uh, are probably the main cause that's fixed that they don't change. Uh, another, another one would be if you hire an event planner, that would be a fee that does not fluctuate depending how many people um, come to your event. If you hire a photographer, a videographer, that's also the same thing. Marketing materials to a certain extent. So your step and repeat will not change. Will not change. It will still have just one, one step and repeat regardless how many people show up for the event. Um, it, this one is also a gray area. Marketing component could be banners. If you have more people, we probably will need to have more branded tablecloth for your registration table. Um, but, and also if you're going to give away goodie bags, you're going to incur more. So there's a variable cost for marketing materials, but marketing materials is a gray area between fixed and variable. So these are just some examples, okay, for your fixed costs. Uh, and then your variable costs will include things, the cost will fluctuate based on how many people actually show up. Food and beverage minimum. Don't confuse that with your food and beverage costs. Food and beverage minimum is what the venue have imposed on, on you on the contract that you have to you have to um, spend, okay? The minimum amount of money that you need to spend on food and beverage when you're using that space. That doesn't mean that that's how much you are going to spend. If, you, if the venue imposed a food and beverage minimum of $10,000 or $5,000, just for example, okay? $5,000, that doesn't mean that your food and beverage cost for the event is $5,000. That means you need to spend at least $5,000. Okay, when you are hosting this event. Having said that, the cost will go up if you have more people show up. The cost will go down if you have less people show up. But bear in mind, if the venue impose a minimum food and beverage spend, even if your number of attendees decrease, you will still need to spend that minimum that the venue has imposed on you, okay? So one of the variable costs is food and beverage. Another variable cost could be like what I said, audiovisual, right? If you have more people, then we need more, we may need more microphones, we may need more speakers, sound system, okay? Uh, and also marketing materials, which is more goodie bags, more workbooks that you're printing out. Another variable cost would be decor items. If you are planning to have beautiful centerpieces on those tables where people are sitting at or you're using specialty furniture, that means you need to rent more. 
So those are those are variable costs. Okay. So when you're putting your event budget sheet, you should separate the fixed cost and the variable cost as well. Now, there's one more cost component, which is the must-have and nice-to-have items. After you put in your fixed cost and your variable cost for hosting the event, you may want to consider a third column or third row that is the must-have and nice-to-have items. The must-have items a lot of times will fall into will fall into your fixed and variable cost. So the must-have is you need to have the venue, right? The you need to have audiovisual, and um, so those are your must-haves. The nice-to-have would be: Do you want to give out goodie bags? Do you want to give out actual workbook, right? So those are nice to have, but they're not necessary, correct? And also. Um, floral centerpiece, those are nice to have, but they are not a must-have. And specialty furniture, those are nice to have, but that's not a must-have. Um, a must-have will include things that you should always have a photographer, if possible, a videographer as well, because you want to shoot content to use it for your marketing purposes. And then uh, nice to have could be maybe a off-site dinner uh, with some of your top uh, potential clients, it's nice to have that you're hosting that, but it's not a must-have, okay? Uh, nice to have would be a yoga session, maybe a, a an experience, any experience, okay? Entertainment. So those are nice to have. So when I do my ticket pricing, I will always include my fixed cost and my variable cost to get the base price, okay? Divide by the number of people to get the base price. And then I also add another column for my must, my nice to have, okay? My nice to have, and then see how much the price fluctuate, okay? So I, I always, I want to have two sides of, of um, two, two sides of the equation, right? Two versions to see what is the market tolerance. If let's say my, um, ticket price is below market tolerance. When I say market tolerance, means what is the market rate out there for similar natures, a similar event of the similar nature? How much are they charging, right? So, and the price that I come up with after taking the fixed and variable cost is significantly below, significantly below the um the market value or pers- or the what the research that you have done, then I will add in my nice to have. Okay. So now I know that I have a very nice event. Not to say that your, ha- your must have is not a nice event, but those are the frills that you just added in. Okay. If after I add on the nice to have cost and it balloon <laughs> my cost of the ticket, okay, then that is something that I will not add in during the ticket pricing strategy until when I get to a certain point of X number of tickets sold and I already covered my cost and there's profit coming in already, then I can consider maybe putting in some money to add in the frills, okay? Something for you to consider. When I do ticket pricing, I am very, very conservative. 
as I mentioned in um, the first episode of the part, the part one series. So I will always use the cost of the event based on the, the maximum number of tickets I want to sell. So if let's say I want 50 people in the room and the cost of event is $10,000, okay? And I want to sell out. So $10,000 divided by 50 tickets. So the ticket is $200. I know I'm just making this number. Those are small numbers. So it's easy for calculation, okay? It's $200. But I wouldn't price my ticket that way. I will price my ticket in a very conservative manner, which is how, what is the minimum number of tickets that I must sell? Okay, I must sell. That means the number of people that I want in the room, it would be 20, okay? Or even 10. So let's just say 20. So that means I will price a ticket based on $10,000 that is going to, that this $10,000 is based on doing an event for 40 people, okay? So that means I have providing food for 40 people, okay? So buying marketing materials for 40 people, all right? So $10,000. And I, I divide that by the minimum number of tickets I need to sell or the number of minimum number of people I want in the room. So 20. So I will sell the tickets at $500. So I know that if worst case scenario, I only manage to sell 20 tickets, I'm not losing money because I'm selling the ticket at $500 instead of $200, hoping that I can sell 50 tickets. So that's what I call the conservative approach. Does it work for everybody? No, but that's how I help my clients save costs and make money upfront. Okay, that's what I do for myself for my own in-person events. So if you are an event planner, okay, you are doing your in-person ticketed event, you need to use this strategy there's no other way to do it except this way. Otherwise, you will be in for a rude surprise that you end up losing money. We don't, we don't want that. Okay? Now, when it comes to ticket pricing strategy, there's also different tiered pricing. I like a super early bird and early bird. And then we go into regular pricing. And this is what we call tiered pricing as well. Tiered pricing means you have different price point for your tickets. Super early bird is always the lowest price point. And then you go into early bird and then you go into regular price. And from the regular price, price you can even uh, upgrade to VIP level where they have different experiences. So they could maybe have better seats, they have a different menu, or they have some, uh, for coaches, you, they may have some one-on-one -on -one time with you, or they may get a, um, some, some things that the regular ticket do not, regular ticket holders do not get. So you have to think about what makes sense for you, for your business. Okay? And, you also want to 
have a cap in terms of how many of the super early bird and the early bird pricing that you want to sell. Because when you're selling your super early bird and early bird pricing, you are not going to be selling your ticket at, as I was mentioning, $500 using the conservative approach. You will be selling your ticket at a lower, lower price point, which is the $200 ticket, uh, which is the regular approach of expecting to sell out. So you don't want to sell so many of those and those super early bird and early bird ticket holders are filling up the room. Therefore, you don't have enough space hand slash tickets to sell at a higher price point, which is the conservative approach, the $500 approach to cover the cost of the event or make a profit at the forefront of the event. Okay? You may want to listen to this part again when you are listening to this podcast. You want to put a cap on the maximum number of tickets that you should, um, that you can sell for super early bird and early bird tickets because you you are not selling those tickets at a price point that is going to help you cover the cost. They will help you cover the cost for sure, but they are not acting in the same capacity compared to selling it at the conservative approach pricing strategy. Okay? This is a very complex, this is a very complex concept I don't expect everybody to understand that. Therefore, I said at the first episode, which is the part one series, if you have any questions, send me a DM, send me an email, and we can have a a separate side check on, on how to understand this concept. Okay? So you want to put a cap and you also want to put a deadline. So don't let it run for an extended period of time even when the minimum number um, has not been fulfilled, okay? You don't, you, don't, you don't want that. We want to create urgency, all right? Now, let's talk about ticket sales strategy. As I mentioned in the previous episode, uh, part one series, you want to have enough time to sell tickets, okay? For me, when I plan a ticketed in-person event for my clients, six to eight-figure coaches and consultants, I will want to have enough time to sell the tickets where by, by three months before the start date of the event. Let's just say the event is on May 1st, okay? By February 1st, In an ideal world, I would have already sold enough tickets, collected enough money to cover the cost of the event. If not, it should be at least 50 to 75%. Okay? If you hit that benchmark, you are good because you have three more months to sell. If you have not reached that benchmark of at least 50% of ticket sales, you need to consider doing paid promotion using Google Ads, Facebook Ads, um, 
LinkedIn ads, whatever, whatever paid method to drive up the awareness of your event and to drive up the sales of your tickets, okay? You also need to be very aggressive with your internal promotions, organic outreach to pitch your event so people can buy the tickets. And you also will want to consider affiliates, um, affiliates that you can pay out a certain commission for them to promote your event and sell tickets. So these affiliates, a lot of times, are in um, parallel industry as you, that they provide complementary services to what you do. So for event planners, you will be creating affiliates with um, the venue, of course, and the like photographer, florist, potentially anyone who is working with you for that event. So if you have vendors exhibiting at the event, they become your affiliate. You want them to be able to promote the event for you because they, it's also for, for them as well since they will be there. And then they get a certain percentage cut. Okay. If they are not exhibiting, if they're not exhi exhibiting at your event, you can also approach them. Uh, any any um, parallel industry that that is aligned with what you do. So for coaches, if you have speakers, okay, if you have speakers, you can incentivize them to speakers for speaking in your conference. Okay, you can incentivize them by giving them a percentage of um of your ticket sales for those tickets that they have sold so that could be another way to drum up uh organic organic outreach to sell tickets and also paid leads platform why do i give myself three months I can give myself more, more um, less time, but I would rather not because the, the three months, I would say 60 days. 60 days before the event, a lot of things will change. Your cost may fluctuate depending on whether you're going to use paid leads platform to, to uh, promote your ticket. And also the cost of the event may change because the number of people fluctuates, right? So there's a lot of moving parts. And I like, to already know where I am in terms of revenue that is going to help me offset the cost of the event. Same thing for, um, for ticket sales where you can consider about purchase, okay? So a, a discount. So when people buy one, you can tell them that the second ticket is buy one, get one free. Or if they bring in their team members, they, they get a discounted rate for team members. Uh, if you are event planner, their plus one is a certain percentage off. If they buy five tickets or more, they get four tic uh, one ticket free. You know, something like that. So you want to consider that strategy as well, okay? So 
in an ideal world, you should be selling tickets a year out. That means at the at at the event itself on the last day of the event for your next event. But not if not, you need to be selling tickets at least six months before the date of the event. At least. Okay? Unless your event is very small and your objective is different, which I elaborated um, in the part one series, how I how I sell my tickets. So you might want to go listen to that. Now, let's talk about sponsorships, okay? Sponsorship is a great way to bring in revenue to cover the cost for the event. So there are different ways of sponsorship. It could be cash. So they just give you money and then you can do it however you want. And then you just plaster their brand everywhere. Or it could be they sponsoring an experience. That means they sponsor a, a cocktail reception, a breakfast, a lunch, or an experience such as the, the yoga, meditation, something like that, or the experience of, you know, if you're an event planner, uh, the experience of the entertainment, the magician, you know, any, any, anything that an experience that they are paying for. Could be food and beverage, could be an experience. Or they can they can sponsor by donating items. So a lot of my clients that I work with, coaches and consultants, they, they get sponsors to sponsor the goodie bags. So now they don't have to use their own money to fill up the goodie bag. So they will have a sponsor who's sponsoring the bag to contain all the goodies in it. So the sponsor's name is on it. They will get a sponsor that sponsor one of the uh, meals, could be the opening reception. And then the sponsor's brand or banner will be displayed at the reception area that just says this reception is sponsored by ABC XYZ. Or you can have the cold hard cash and just use it however you want. Okay? So depending on how you want to structure the different tiers of sponsorship, you also have the different tiers of fulfillment. So if a sponsor sponsor a meal and that's very expensive, it's a very expensive meal, so like a lunch or a dinner, okay, for, for a lot of people or for all 50 people at your event, that's a hefty investment in terms of dollars. So they not only just want to have a banner there to say dinner is sponsored by ABC XYZ, they may want to ask for access to your database of the people who, who registered for the event or come to the event. They may also want to be present at the event, at dinner, where they get to speak to these people. So the different tiers of sponsorship could be just a brand Awareness, that means their brand is plastered everywhere on your marketing material to, to be able to, and it range from that to uh, areas like they just want to have a database and have their brand logo. Brand logo is that it's, it's probably the, the minimum you can do. So you need to mention your sponsors, okay? So brand logo for sure is, grant, is, is taken for granted. It, you have to 
feature your the the brand name and the logo of your sponsors. And then different tiers could include they get a database, the list of the names. Uh, they get to have an introduction made by you and your team to the attendees on the list to book a discovery call. It could be um, it could be them being present at the event to mingle with the attendees. It could be um, them being able to speak at the event. So the the speakers that you are hiring, you don't you don't you don't pay them. They actually pay you. So they become like a sponsor slash speakers. So that could be one option as well. Now, it is important to understand how to approach a sponsor, who to approach for sponsorship, okay? When you're approaching sponsors, you have to think about who is coming to the event. Will these people buy from this company, the company who's sponsoring some component of your event? You need to think about that. And you also want to think about what is the objective that the sponsors are looking for. You also want to think about the sponsors that you're approaching, are they aligned with your brand and the service that you are providing. If you are a photo, if you are an event planner, you want to approach a photographer for sponsorship, the photographer can either give money or they can provide their service, right? So it's complimentary. And then you also have to think about the attendees who's coming, would they hire the photographer? for themselves, for their own events. That could be a very good potential, right? So that's the way of thinking. If you're a coach or a consultant, you want to consider uh, sponsors that you think would be complementary to your services, such as a financing company, if you're selling high ticket, such as a uh, a platform that can house uh pro that can house programs that they or or payment platform. If the people who are coming to your event, okay, if the people who's coming to your event are also coaches themselves, they may find the need to work with a financing company. So there is a mutual alignment of objective. Okay. Um so when the financial company sponsor your event, they know that they could get leads, potential clients from your event. And same thing for a, a platform, they know that they can get potential leads from the events. Some sponsors may only just want visibility, so they may not even want to be present at the event. So when you are selecting your sponsors, you have to think about how do they play how do they work well with my company, with the services that I provide? Is it a complementary service or is it a conflicting service or, or it has nothing to do with it at all? Then you wouldn't, these sponsors will see no reason to want to give you their money or their materials, okay? When it comes to who to approach to, 
right? You do not want to approach a sponsor who's already extremely established in their market because they don't need you, right? They don't need you. Unless your event is, is attracting a lot of people and they just want brand awareness to people that they don't think are aware of their brand, they just want brand awareness, then they may consider sponsoring you. It's just like when you watch, let's say a um, when you watch a sporting event, let's just say tennis, you will see sponsors like Emirates Airline, FedEx, those are big brands. But there may be people who do not know FedEx and Emirates, believe it or not. Or they may want to reintroduce their brand or to bring their brand to the forefront of the mind of the people who are already familiar with their brand. So you need to understand the objective of your sponsors. So I would, I, I'm not saying that you are not going to approach, you're not going to approach big name brands. I'm saying that you need to understand what is the objective, their marketing objective when they sponsor and can you give them, can you give them or fulfill their objective, okay? Um, my approach is to approach brands that's aligned with my brand and the services and complementary to my services, but not the main household brand, but the second or third tier where they need exposure. So they will be more willing to sponsor your events. Also, a lot of corporations look at their marketing budget at the end of the year. When you pitch sponsorship, you want to pitch, you want to pitch by September, October. So whatever they did not use for the year, they can spend on you. Okay? They can spend on you. And if they have already used up the money, then they will put you on the docket. So when the budget is released at the end of the year, they will start spending that money on you at the beginning of the year. So you already secure a spot. Okay? That's sponsorship in a nutshell for you. So to recap, in this part two episode, we talk about ticket pricing strategy. We talk about ticket sales strategy. We talk about sponsorship sales strategy. So I hope now you can put two and two together from part one and part two, okay, of the three-part series. A lot of information, I understand. That's why I say in the part one series, if you have questions, reach out to me. If you know that you want to do a ticketed in-person event, you don't know if you have the capacity to do it yourself or have your team do it or you want to consider hiring a planner but you don't know what the experience is like, just reach out to me. But if you already know that you want to do it, you want to do a ticketed in-person event, you know that you can do it yourself, especially if you are an event planner, then you should consider getting one of our courses ticketed in-person event course, all right? So you know exactly what you're doing and I'll be guiding you along in the tutorial. Or you can just consult with me and we go as a consultant, consultancy fee, and I will do it together with you. 
So there are many options to work together. So don't know what to do, just reach out to me and then we can have a conversation. And, and then um, we, I will show you the behind the scenes of the course so you can decide whether is it for you or we can have a conversation on how it, how it would be like if we were to work together, okay? So I will put down my calendar link so you can book a call with me and then we can chat further, all right? Again, I also want to remind everyone, especially event planners who's listening to this episode, that we have a virtual event coming up. This is going to be our last workshop for the year. It is called the CEO. It's going to, it's called the CEO Business Audit Mastermind. So it's in short, it's CEO BAM. <laughs> and it's going to be happening on October 25th and October 26th in the evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time Zone. We will be doing a lot of CEO work. And this is a paid workshop, by the way. This is $37, a paid workshop. You get a, uh, a mini course from me. I guarantee you it's going to be really good. And you also get a uh, complimentary one-on-one business consult call with me. Okay. So what you'll be learning in the workshop will be things like how to measure the effectiveness of your marketing campaign so you know where to spend your time and your marketing dollars. You'll be learning how to track your sales conversion so you know what to tweak in your sales conversation. You'll be learning how to evaluate the business, every single event that you book, whether this is a good business or a bad business. Did you get a return on investment? All right. So you don't want to be both busy and broke. You will also learn how to um, how to calculate, how to evaluate whether a good lead where, where this lead is a good lead or a bad lead. Um, you will also learn how to track your financial and sales projection. So you know how many clients you need in order to hit your financial goal. So these are the topics that we'll be covering. It's going to be done inside Zoom. So there's life coaching component as well. And it's $37 for uh, the workshop. I will put the link to register for the workshop. If you know of any other event planners, designers, decorators who are interested in doing this event with you, make sure that you share the link as well. Thank you so much for your time. And next week, we'll be talking about the part three of the three-part series of what to consider when planning your ticketed in-person event. We'll be talking about what you need to be doing when you're on site and what you need to be doing after the event so that you, you have a better system and process and strategy when you plan your next ticketed in-person event. Thank you, everyone. Don't forget to give me a rating and a review. And share with me what other topics you would like me to chat about so I can create content catered just for you. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Eventrepreneur Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, can you do me a favor? Please leave us a review and also share our podcast so we can help more eventrepreneurs out there. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss any new episodes.